Well, that's good to hear because I only picked my 35-minute message, so I should be good to go, right? I don't think any pastor has ever, uh, any Baptist preacher has ever out or laid out his messages based on how long he thinks they're going to take. That's, I don't, you know, we don't really focus on the time aspect as much as we focus on, like, you know, getting all the points. But uh, for me, I think it'd be a useful thing to say, you know, I got this message and it's an hour message. Uh, and it's going to be a while before I preach it because I can barely preach a 20 or 30 minute message. But, you know, it's like, if you, I'm going to try to do that. That may actually help me. I think that may be useful. Uh, trying to go and see how long this thing is actually going to take and, you know, may actually have to practice on myself. Um, anyway. If we could turn to the book of Ruth, Dad was talking about somebody's life falling apart, and certainly in the first chapter of the book of Ruth, you find somebody whose life surely did fall apart, and thank God that that story uh, has more than one chapter, amen, thankful for all the chapters in Ruth and how the Lord allowed that situation that Naomi went through at the beginning to turn around. Um, I'm going to read a little bit here about Naomi, read a, a little bit about her situation. Dr. Ruckman has a really good message on this called The Parting of the Ways, and he's focusing more on uh, Ruth and Orpah and their decision right at the end of his message to, uh, uh, to go with Naomi or to go back. And certainly we, we just heard a lot of messages at the beginning of this year about uh, continuing on and being unified and really... Uh, the reason for unification is because I, I believe personally that we're some of the things that I've been exposed to uh, in, in some of the worlds that I that I am in, some of the, the technology that I see coming on that I've been following for a while. I think it's going to cre- create a lot of problems for a lot of people. It's gonna it's gonna disrupt a lot of things, and um, the, the world that we're living in. As we've seen in the last 10 or 15 years, anybody over the age of 25 can say, man, I remember back when I was, you know, 10 years old and we had this kind of computer and like, you know, that kind of computer is a dinosaur now and, and we're able to do so much more and, and believe me, in the next two or three years, the things that you're going to be able to do just by talking to a computer, I mean, you, you talk about being able to, you talk about being able to write a book in a few minutes, in a book that is anti-plagiarism proof. All the stuff that has been accumulated by the world on Google. Good and bad. I mean, most of it's bad, let's just be honest. And you think about the spiritual side of all the stuff that's been accumulated in a place like that. All the, all the arguments for, for this religion or that religion, all the arguments... My wife was talking about, uh, she was on Ruckmanism.org the other day. And you think Ruckmanism.org would be a place where, you know, it's like people that love Dr. Ruckman would be. <laughs> Ain't a lot of people that like Dr. Ruckman on Ruckmanism.org. And you can have some idiot, of which I've ran across probably five or six really good versions of that, write a book knowing nothing about a subject by just talking into an AI. And now they become an authority. That was for effect. <laughs> that was a test. That was a test. Check that off. Crunching the halls worked. Okay. When you have the ability to do, to create 
authorities now without even getting a secular education. Why? Because Google will pull all the authorities. It'll pull it all up. It'll give you the list of everything you need to know. It'll, it'll put all the stuff at the back end of your book. Now, it's not there yet, but it's, believe me, this is where, wherever my phone is. If I could pull my phone out and put it in my hand right now, and you think that that thing is designed to make your life easier, you miss, you've grossly misunderstood the guy who's running the show here. The, tech, the thing that he designed is not, for, not to help you out as a human being. That is designed for one purpose. One with a couple sub-purposes. Number one, it is designed to eliminate humans from your life. How many conversations have you not had in person because of the phone? How many, and, and you think, the conversations over the phone are a lot different than the ones in person. I was talking to a guy in jail yesterday, and I'm like, I got to deal with the way you look. <laughs> and you got to deal with the way I look. And I got to stutter, and I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can hide over the phone that you can't hide in person. You can't hide the way somebody looks at you with their eyes. You can't hide the way they act and the way they, they fool around. And believe me, some of us, we, we try. I mean, it was, try to learn how to talk and learn how to act and learn how to move the hands in the right way so that you follow and because we're a visual people and all that. We, we try, and there's a lot of work. That, a good chunk of this is in presentation. But... Now we're, we've done moving from the, from the talking to the texting, and very soon all the brain cells that you're going to need to get through this life are basically going to be, you know what, I got this idea, and I want this technology to do all the work for me, and I don't even have to learn how to read, I don't have to learn how to write, forget Grammarly. You don't even have to learn how to read, proofread, write, you don't have to learn how to do any of that stuff. So in about 10 or 15 years, we're going to have a bunch of people who are going to why, why would the priority be to read? I remember back when I was going through school, grammar was not grammar. And I'm talking college. Like when I went through school, Miss Thompson sat over there right, or at uh, Rice State University, at Temple Christian School. She taught us grammar. She taught us how to read, how to write. I mean, and then I walk into Wright State University, and there's people thinking they're going to be doctors and lawyers and all this other stuff, and they can't pass Grammar 101. And Grammar 101 consisted of let's go find some pop star out there and talk about this and that, and then let's flip papers around, and I'm sitting there proofreading people's papers that have graduated from good schools, and they can't even, they don't got a single comma in seven or eight paragraphs. And that was 2014, 2009 to 2014. I mean, you think it, all the stuff that's coming, I mean, we're talking less than 10 years, and you got a technology that can write a book for you. In seconds after you say, you know what, I want you to go out and write a book on tax planning and it will go to every site in the world where tax knowledge has been accumulated, journal, or talking all the way to journal articles found in university, university grade journal articles. And it'll pull all this information, piece it all together, put it in a big long list and, and then tag my name at the bottom. And so you have somebody, some cult leader somewhere and he says, I want you to write me a book on this, and I want you to twist it this way, twist it that way, twist it that You know, I watched a guy. He said, I want you to, I want you to design a picture of a Lamborghini, make it purple, put a little fiery purple emblem on the side, and put it in the backdrop of a building and match all the colors of the building, the Lamborghini, and everything. I mean, it came out perfect. Hundreds of hours somebody would have had to sit there 10 or 15 years ago to design all that. It, it produced it in seconds. It's about to eliminate... Whole, whole industry. I mean, you talk about Andrew Carnegie, and we're getting to the message here in a second, but this is the stuff that's getting ready to come down the pipeline, people. 
I remember reading about, when I was a little kid, there was a book called Andrew Carnegie, Young Steelmaker. It's about a 1960s, 1970s book, which ironically, books like that are like 70, 80 bucks now. I mean, you know, like the stuff I read as a kid, those were, you know, with the library stamps all over it, torn pages, and they're all the expensive books, hard to get a hold of. I remember reading about that and talked about his dad and the, the, comp or the company that he worked for. He had his little, uh, little house and they, you know, all the little uh, uh, the loomers and the weavers, they all you know, worked in sync and they would go to this, you know, this factory down the road and this plant and they'd pick up this material. And by and by, the factory came in and everybody disappeared. They all lost their jobs. It, it upended the entire industry. There was riots. There were strikes. And that was back in the day before cell phones. And you can call up and say, hey... This person just lost their job, and this person just lost their job, and you're sending messages to people on Facebook, this person lost their job, you know, and this, my, my whole division got shut down. You think of if somebody was able to develop something that eliminated half of the jobs in the United States, all the, let's say all the jobs that involve writing, you think how many people actually, like, involve writing? And you got something that can, you know, say, I want you to do the, this accounting thing, and it eliminates half of accountants and half of lawyers, and half of, you start seeing where I'm going. We're heading to an area where the technology that we developed to help us out is going to, is going to eliminate and isolate all of us, if you're not careful. That's what it's designed to do. I remember seeing a comment. There was a guy talking about it, and, he's, and he was complaining. And he's like, man, I'm getting so sick of these people not even being able to get my food order right. Is there some type of AI that just eliminates people altogether, and I can just sit at my house? See, this is where we're going. So I can sit at my house all by myself. I don't want to have interactions with other people, any people. I want my food delivered. I want my media delivered to my TV. I want the Wi-Fi guy. I don't even want to walk outside. I want him to fix all the problems remotely. So we're getting to the point now where the technology is going to try to make you unable to be able to open something like this up and even read in a few years. That's where it's going. And so the devil, if you can't even open up and comprehend a book at a basic level, man, he's, he's got everything where he wants to be. I mean, we're not 20, 30 years easily. Uh, everything is set up for him to just shut whole sector, very easily shut whole sectors of the country down because we'll be so dependent on the stuff. So anyway, with that said, we find ourselves in the book of Luke, or, uh, Ruth. We're talking about a famine. And like Dad said, hopefully you just, you just got some help and the revival, but that doesn't mean in a month your life's falling apart in <laughs> some way, shape, or form. And the question is, when hard times hit, in whatever way, shape, or form that they may, how are you going to respond to those hard times? Because how Naomi responded to the hard times and how her family responded to the hard times uh, is not probably the way you would want to respond if you were in that situation. All right, the Bible says in Ruth, chapter number one, get there myself. I don't know why I didn't look over here in 1 Corinthians or something like that. Ruth, chapter number one, just read this today, got done with Judges. I, had, uh, I was halfway through my Bible. Uh, and just because you get halfway through your Bible, you know, something delays you, you were, you know, let's say trying to do three times, you end up getting two and a half times, don't just quit and go all the way back to the beginning. I mean, you know, finish. Finish it out. You know, if you get to the beginning of the year and you're in 
2 Corinthians, don't go all the way back. Finish reading until you get done and then start over. Better yet, start over and finish reading. That's the way to do it. That's what I tried to do. So I'm going for three times this year, uh, two and a half, two and three quarters, something like that. So we find ourselves in uh, Ruth, eventually. Get there. Ruth. Ruth. Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, 4, chapter. There we go. Okay. The Bible says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And as Dad just mentioned, that uh, there's, there's things that will occur in the world that can cause your entire life to fall apart. And this, in particular, this famine in the land, you know, one of the things that, that is kind of like a common theme of many of the stories that I've read uh, involving either war or people that have had to survive during very hard times, particularly like in war. And you, know, you think of the, the people in uh, uh, the Pacific Theater when they got stranded on boats and, and you know, they, they're sitting there eating seagulls and you know, doing anything in the world they can to survive. I mean, you know, dangling their finger in the water hoping a fish comes up. You act, the, the, way, the character that comes out of you when you start to starve, there's a lot of things that get revealed to you. I mean, there's certain events you can go through, but food in particular, when that gets removed out of the equation, food and water, it starts to reveal a lot of things about you that you may have otherwise been able to keep repressed. Is that not true? And in America, we fortunately, and I hope this is never the case in my lifetime, where we get to the point where the very food is removed out of the equation and, you know, you, you see people that are in $500 million houses down the road and, and they got their Louisville slugger that was signed by all the Reds team and they're in there about to fight you, you know, at Kroger. <laughs> I hope we don't get to that point, but that's what happens when you start pulling food out of the equation. You think of what happened uh, over there in, in um, a little bit later on past this, you know, he's, he prophesies like, you're, they're going to be eating kids. You say, no way in the world that would mankind be reduced to all the crazy things that ended up happening when just food was pulled out of the equation. But we find that that's the case. So here, food is removed out of the equation. There's a famine in the land. And the first thing that happens uh, that we see here is, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, it's important to know names as much as you can. I know it's, uh, for me personally, sometimes, uh, man, you start reading, you get about 10 or 15 through, and you're like, all right, you know, I'm doing this, I'm getting through these names, I'm paying attention, I'm reading them right, you know, I'm looking at the little pronunciation syllables, and you get about 15, 20, 30 names in, and you're like, God, please, <laughs> can you just get me through this? Like, I, I, certainly all these names here, maybe only three or four of them actually have any real meaning, you know, if we study the entire Bible up ways, sideways, down, you know, there's only so many of these names, like, they only get mentioned once, and that's all we know about them, but in this particular case, it does mention that this person was from Bethlehem, Judah, and we find out that Bethlehem, Judah, it means the house of bread and the place of rejoicing. And so there's a famine in the land, a lack of food, and we find that in a famine, somebody who is of the house of bread makes a move away from the house of bread. and away from a place of rejoicing. And they enter into the land of, what does the Bible say? Sojourned in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And that's a scary thing. That's something that 
certainly many people in this room, myself included, you've had something akin to a spiritual famine, and you made a bad decision. Instead of sticking it out, what we call this a place where routine duty should have taken over. And where, you know, man, it's starting to get starting to get dry out here, starting to get dry. It's not raining, it's not raining, but and other people have started to leave, so you know, it starts to put something in the back. I'm, I'm sure these weren't the only people that left. I'm sure this man, Elimelech, and his wife and his two kids, I'm sure they weren't the only people that left. And they probably weren't the first either. What'll happen when famines come is you'll start, people will start to question. We're in the land where we're supposed to be. We're in the house of bread, but there's no bread here. Surely this is not where we're going to end up, and we're just going to sit here and starve to death. So you start to think, well, if, if this is God's plan, and God's plan involves us starving, then maybe we need to take things into our own hands. And that's what we get tempted to do. I would say probably more, more often than not, many of the things we do when we get any type of resistance or any type of lack or want uh, physically, um, we start to think, God, well, if, if, this is, if you're allowing me to go through this famine, you know, I'm not going to be able to make this much longer. I've already seen other people leave, and you start building excuses. You watch other people leave. Well, if they left, maybe, you know, maybe they were the smart ones here, and we should have left a long time ago, and if we don't leave, we're going to die. And even in the house of bread, a good, a good church where you're getting, I mean, what does it say, house of bread? You're getting fed. There is, there is, a, there is a push sometimes, there's a draw away from that. Why? Because you aren't getting what you think you need to have right now. Now, I know from reading a little bit farther on that there were people, Boaz included, who stuck it out. And they lived, and they were there when Naomi walked back in the door. So apparently there was enough food there for them to stay alive. So what happens is I'm not getting, this is what I've heard plenty of times, I'm not getting fed how I want to be fed. I'm not, this is, this is something I've heard from a lot of Bible believers that have come out of schools. And there's, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I'm sitting underneath a pastor. But that pastor ain't feeding me at the speed. I need to be fed as a graduated Bible professional. I know that 10 years later, after Naomi has lost, see, because the famine, the pressure of the famine, uh, I don't think so much was on Elimelech. I think the problem here was Naomi. Why? Because famine happens, and famine causes a bad decision to be made. Elimelech's the guy who makes it. He's ultimately the one responsible, husbands. He's the one responsible. Took him, he took his wife, he took his two kids, walked out of the house of bread, out of the place rejoicing, walked into the enemy's camp, and decided to sojourn there. And as often is the case, what ends up being a very quick, short, period of time that we're going to stay here takes 10 years he dies first Naomi doesn't budge two kids die 
You would think after her husband dies in the Old Testament, you know, like when you start losing those types of chess pieces in your life as a woman, you're starting to lose your protection. The men in the house protected the women. You lose the, the men, you're in big trouble as a woman. You're up for grabs by anybody. You're up for abuse. You're up to be treated however any person who walks into your life wants to treat you in the Old Testament. That's how it worked. She loses both of her kids, and we find that she doesn't budge until she hears that there's bread, that the Lord has visited with bread. It takes three people in her life dying, and she still doesn't budge. Now, he was talking about hard people. I've seen some pretty hard people, and, and it doesn't always have to be somebody in jail. We were in jail yesterday. I saw uh, two guys who, one guy who was in there, and he was probably a hard guy for quite some time, and the Lord knocked him up a couple more times, smacked him around. He said, I mentioned this jail. He's like, I've been over here, I've been over here, and you know what? He wasn't at that point. He wasn't hard anymore. He had been beat up and ran down the drain enough times, and he was like, you know what, I'm sick, I'm surrendering, you show me how to be saved, I'll bow my knees down, and he did right there, right next to the sink, just like the woman of Samaria, except for he was next to the sink, it was the man at the sink. <laughs> and I got there talking about the, the Samaritan woman, and I'm sitting there looking, and he is sitting there resting on the sink, and I'm talking about the woman of Samaria, the, the j prisoner on the sink, and it was great. And you know what? He wasn't a hard guy anymore, but a couple years ago, he's like I was. I was stubborn. I, it took me getting through a lot of stuff before I finally woke up and I finally realized that, you know what? I don't want to live in Moab anymore. Yeah, you know, the day before that, my, my sister-in-law said, I don't want to live in Moab anymore. How do I get saved? In four hours, she, what, she, she passed from death into life. Two people in two days for me. That was good. Man. Now, the sister-in-law was a long time coming. That's the start. That was, that was some idiot on the other side of the family who decided, yeah, the King James Bible is the only Bible you shouldn't be reading because they've been watching a bunch of stinking TikTok, which you can now, within a couple years, probably make at the drop of a hat. Make me a video, and it'll pull some faces that aren't even real and paint some stuff and, and pull Photoshop it and do this and pull some person, edit them so it's not the real face and, and make a video. Yeah, we're to that point now. And it'll look like an authority sitting up there and all the devil has to do, man, all the beast has to do is just put his picture somewhere and say, make me a video about this and, tell, and make the video about how this sect of Christianity is wrong and this part is wrong and make me a video about how Dr. Ruckman's wrong and how this person, and it will compile so much false information and construct it in such a way that the average person who's coming out, if there's even a school within a couple years, because why would you even go to school if you don't need to know how to read and write, you can just talk to the stinking machine and it tells you everything it wants you to do. Besides, you don't want to have a relationship with people anyway, so what's the point of even going and hanging out with them and learning how to talk to them? And I'm dealing with her. You we're trying to deal with my sister-in-law, and she's got a CSV, and you know she's starting to ask questions. And I, and I walk in, I walk in, and she's got her notebook, and I, she's got her set of highlighters, and I'm looking, and I'm seeing notes written out of her CSV. She's trying. She's why? She's trying to get. She's trying to get out of Moab. She doesn't even realize. It. I mean, she's she's like she she started. She's Ruth. She was in Moab. <laughs> she was in Moab, and and some. Idiot, man, probably, good, probably a good Naomi. I probably make a, feel like I'm a good Naomi sometimes. It's really easy for me to get uh, bitter and stubborn and all that other stupid stuff. But walked into her life, and she saw me, and she said, man, you, got, you may have, the Lord really ran you over. It allowed a lot of hard things to happen to you, but it's still a whole lot better than Moab. <laughs> You're saying there's a house of bread? You're saying there's a, you got a, a God that 
Vic was victorious and took care of you, and, and you got friends and family that love you. I ain't got any of that stuff back here. I'll go with you. I ain't got nothing better over here. So I'm dealing with my other sister-in-law, and she's talking about, well, you know, I'm just, you just need to get Hebrew Bible. Forget the CSV, you know, you can read that, but you definitely don't want to read the King James Bible because it's attached to the Illuminati and, you know, and I'm just dealing with all this nonsense and I'm like, God, I'm just here to pick up a car. That's all. I drove 45 minutes, one way to pick up a car. I'm just here to pick up a car. I got to go put air in the tire. The car's still over there. It's still out in Wilmington. Something popped up that was a little bit more important for me. And it was, all right, you want to open up and ask about that CSV? I'll start. We'll take you to Genesis chapter 1. We'll take you to Matthew chapter 18, 11. We'll, st- we'll take you to places like that. And, I, and, oh, by the way, your sister talked to you about, about the King James Bible is the only Bible you shouldn't use. Like she's some authority. Well, I, I guess she thinks she's authority because she's watching some money on TikTok. Some clown out there in Moab where she's probably going to stay where most people stay. And sometimes you end up out in Moab. I mean, you go through all the bitterness you got to go through to get there, and you come back, but it does open you up a little bit into that world and some of the things that those people have to deal with. I'm just, man, I'm just glad. Two people saved. Two people saved. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Uh, Sometimes even God allows uh, crazy situations. I was talking to Brother Adam. All the stuff that I had to go through to buy that car from him, there was a lot of stupidity that Andrew Ellie had to go through. There's a low point in Andrew Ellie's life uh, so I could get that car so I could leave it there so I could at some point down the road have to get up and drive there and pick it up and she ends up getting saved. And God, man, he'll use hard times in your life sometimes. If you're, if you're trying to get back, man, if you're trying to get back, sometimes he'll give you some stuff along the way. He'll give you some people along the way to take back with you. Um, so we find here that she loses Two people, or three people, Elimelech, Chilion, Malon, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. People that were of the house of bread died outside of the land of bread. And they took them two wives of Moab, verse 4. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. So the whole sojourn thing ended up being a ten-year thing. It's, it's never a good idea to leave where you know it's named the house of bread. It's a place where you get fed, even though it's not the type of food you may think you need. It will be like what Boaz said. It will be enough food to sustain you for 10 years while everybody else is out there dying. You know what I know about everything that was going on in the land of Bethlehem, Judah? You never hear that there were just people dying all over the place. They may have not ate, it, ate how they wanted to eat. They may have had to scrimp a little bit. But I know that when they get back, they are in a much better position than Naomi was when she came back. And they're like, man, Naomi, we're glad to see. And it's just immediately, I'm bitter. Call me Mara. There's a difference there. The people that stayed in the house of bread, the people that stayed where the Lord told them to stay and not, not leave at any cost, the Lord got them through. The Lord will get you through the hard times when everything falls apart, when you start seeing some of this stuff come on board and, and it's like, man, I don't know. I, you know I'm, in, I'm in copy and I'm in accounting and I'm in finance and I'm in this business and I'm in that business and it's like you know, the, all the jobs are starting to go away. It's like we're not needed anymore. When stuff like that happens, and it's happened hundreds of thousands of times throughout history, as things start to wind down, it's just going to get crazier and crazier and crazier and God's going to allow more pressure by the devil to be put in your life 
stay in the house of bread. Yes, it's safe here. There are people like Boaz that live in the house of bread. The, th the thing that always gets me is, like I said earlier, you know, talking about how I, I think Naomi was kind of the one putting this in Elimelech's ear, is she was ultimately the one after she had lost everything. The, thing, the only reason she came back is because she heard that there was bread. So Naomi's life must have been made uncomfortable to some degree where she said, I don't have the leeks, I don't have this, I don't have the melons, I don't have all this other stuff. I, can we just leave and go to Moab for a little bit? Elimelech, it'll just be a little, for a little bit, just for a little bit. Women, you better be careful what you talk in the ears of your husband. There's a lot of, there's a lot of men that are out of church because the woman thought she was not getting what she needed. In a good church that she didn't have enough sense to understand it was a good church because all she cared about was this. And, and everything, everything that she left with, she lost. Now, there's a lot of people that would continue to bash Naomi. I, I will say that, like the prodigal, she ended up back. And, that, and a lot of people stay there and they die. A lot of people, they go, they go out and they never come back. And when I see somebody go, when I read the Bible and I see somebody go out like that and they come back, believe me, it takes a whole lot more effort to come back from Moab than it does to just stay in the house of bread. I remember, I think uh, it, was, it was a message similar to this that I heard preached by somebody and they were talking about five or six years worth of damage can be caused by a five-minute bad decision. Think how many people you hear of the, the stories that you know people had their whole lives changed, in some cases irreparably changed, and they're sitting in a hospital and, and people that lost friends, lost family because they got in a car and somebody said, hey, don't do this dumb stuff, and they got hooked up with wrong people and five or ten minutes, a, a bad decision that literally was seconds in some cases, changed 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years and eliminated life off other people. So the bad decision that Naomi and her husband, or however that worked, I'm assuming, based on what I read, that it was pro a lot of this was probably pressure from Naomi for them to get out of Dodge and go somewhere for a little bit, cost her 10 years of her life, and three other people perished that may have very well, had they stayed in the land, been like Boaz, and there very well could have been, Elimelech, Elimelech could have been right up there with Boaz but they left too soon and they stayed too long. And that's exactly what the call of the world is. It's to pull you out for just, that's all the devil wants. He's a master marketer. All he wants is just a little bit of your time, just a little bit, five minutes. And you're down at the bottom of the ditch and you know we've heard the stories, heard the stories from Dr. Peacock, heard the story, Dr. Ruckman's got a lot of good ones too. People that have lost half their skin, they're in the burn unit. You know, Remember we talked about one guy lost his wife a couple hours after they got married lost his arm, he's sitting there, and he walks in, he's talking about a hard person, he walks in and he says, hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. <laughs> You're half dead. What do you mean pretty good? Be honest. You're half dead. Two-minute two decision for you just, just took you from, like, literally doing great and having the best time of your life to literally almost dying. And that's, like, right there, you know, they just lost one thing, and and but you ain't, you haven't lost enough before you realize, like, man, I need to soften up a little bit. It's still too hard, and then still too hard, and eventually, you know what? I hear there's bread, so maybe I need to get back there. And and 
And what we find is that she's in such a state of bitterness that the two people that were left in her life, she didn't want to help those people either. It was all about Naomi. All about, I just need to get back to bread. Why? Because, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't for the friends and family that she came back for. As soon as she walked into town, they came, they came out to her, and she immediately shut them down. I'm bitter. I'm mar- You know what? Get away from me. I don't want to be. I am bitter. I want to be bitter. I don't, the Lord has dealt hard with me. He's taken things away from me. Yeah, I was the one who asked for it. I'm, I was the one who wanted to go away, and it took a lot longer for me to get back, and I'm kind of glad I'm back, but outside of that, just everything else in my life has, has been hard. But we find that even in that situation, there was one person who made a decision that in spite of all the hardness I've watched this lady go through, I'm still going to go with her. Because the way I just watched my husband die, I watched her husband die, I watched my sister-in-law's husband die, there's nothing left for me back there. And sometimes, Christian, even you as a bitter old Christian, still got enough light. Enough light, maybe just a little bit, but it's enough light to shine into somebody's heart and to get their attention. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't enough light to keep Orpah's attention. You kind of wonder if... Naomi had done things a little bit differently if maybe Orpah would have been one of the other ones to come along. Now, I know Orpah had to make her own decision, but again, a lot of these, a lot of these situations, you know, it's like you put yourself in the situation like, you know, you know, if you're constantly bitter all the time, she was probably not too enthused about going along with her. Amen. Something to check out. You know, you got... When God puts you through a hard situation, number one, like, did you put yourself in the situation in the first place? Because if you put yourself in the, the situation and God's smacking you over the head two or three or four or five times and you're too slow to grasp that he's slapping you over the head, then you ain't got any right to be bitter. Like, you did it to yourself. You did. In the Old Testament, you lose your husband, that should have been a wake-up call, like, I'm now the one in, in control here. I got two. Hey, boys, it's time to go. Like, I, I've done lost enough. I've done lost enough, and you know what? I don't want to lose you too. Hey, you know, grab your wives. Right there, there was, there was one, two, three, four. There was four people that could have been turned around maybe two or three, four years in, but she waited too long. Naomi waited just long enough to lose three of those people. Two to death, one to the world, plus her husband. Christian, if she had waited maybe 15 years, she could have lost Ruth too. If you are outside of the house of bread or thinking about going outside, you better change your mind. I know you can be in here in your heart. You can be physically in here, but your heart's way out there. And believe me, the distractions of the devil, the distractions of Moab are only going to get more and more appealing and, and the church is going to seem like it's drier and drier sometimes. And, and sometimes it is. Man, sometimes it is. And you ain't getting fed. And you just got to stick it out to get the food that you need to get. But the appeal of this is going to just get stronger and stronger. And when the famine comes, when the famine comes, the devil is going to try to set up as many things to catch your eye as possible. Believe me, if Naomi was in Moab listening for the call of bread... Over here, she was in the land of bread listening for what was going on in Moab, too. 
That's how she found out about it. That's how they ended up there. So make no mistake, we're in a good church, but I know that many of us at some point throughout our days, we're going to hear the call of Moab. The devil's, he is doing everything he can right now to try to get your ear, even for a few seconds. Why? Because he'll allow you to go for five, six, seven, eight years, and as soon as that famine for you personally happens, even after some good messages and good preaching and encouragement at the beginning of the year to get stronger and stronger and stronger, the devil will wait as long as it takes for that. And he's upstairs. He's upstairs talking to God. God, just let me have a, let me just put a famine in his life. Let me just take his kids out. Let me take his family out. Let me do this. Let me do that. And, and, and nope, make it happen. I got the hedge of protection about him now. Okay, how long had the devil been before God talking to God about Job before God actually, who knows how many years from the second Job popped out of the womb. God, I want to destroy that man. I want to destroy that man. I want to destroy. It wasn't just some random time that the, the devil decided, you know, oh man, this guy's been successful for 67 years. You know, man, I mean, I should take note. I think he noticed Job very early on and he wanted to destroy him. And it took him a long time asking before God finally dropped the walls and said, all right, have at him. And I know that I've seen plenty of Christians get through really good revival services. And within a couple weeks, it's like, well, there it went. Famine hit right after the good revival. The devil had been praying all, been up there asking, knocking, hey, I, I know you're letting them go through a good revival, but I want, I want to destroy them. I want to, I want to test them right after the revival. Sometimes all it takes is a flat tire. <laughs> you've been lost your Christianity and you're about to get out of church. <laughs> That's what happens sometimes. Maybe in the short term, it happens for me sometimes. It's like, God, how in the world do you even, like, I don't even want to, man, if I can't even deal with a flat tire happening without losing my cool or something happens with the kids and I get bent out of shape over something the wife said and, and man, you're just like, the devil's like, yeah, now get out of church. Like, you know, you know, shut up, get out of here. But he does that long enough and he gives you enough ammo and enough reasons. Man, there's people that will walk right out the doors and never come back. we got two minutes left. She left the land of bread she lost. She made a bad decision. Bad decisions can lead to losses. Losses can leave you bitter. Most people that are bitter have lost something or didn't get something they thought. They, they lost time. You know, you didn't, I didn't get something I, I thought I should have had. That, that's, that means you just lost a lot. You just thought you invested a lot of time. You're going to get something out of it, and you didn't get what you thought you were going to have. So you, I just wasted all my whole life and didn't get something I thought I was going to have. That will leave you bitter. Bitterness can crush your desire to reach other people. It can crush your desire to reach other people. I find it, I find it sad here. As I was talking to the two people I talked to, the, the, the guy yesterday, this came into my mind. I was thinking about, man, Lord, if you would have, if you would have not allowed me to overcome some of the bitterness in my own life, gave me some grace to overcome it, I probably wouldn't be in this jail cell talking to this guy and having a good attitude about being able to be a witness there. And that's, this guy may or may not have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. God, if you would have not allowed these things to happen, I could have, man, there's all kinds of things that could have happened that I could have totally wrecked my life and I would have never had an opportunity in the last seven or eight years. There's plenty of opportunities to fail and, and to get out altogether. And if I would have done that, I, there would never would have been a moment where I was there talking to my sister-in-law and, and watching her accept the Lord Jesus Christ and watching her husband who may or may not be saved I led her to the Lord with his, his King James Bible. 
And, and God, if you, there's times in my life where you could have let my, you could have not given me the grace that I needed to get over some of the stuff in my life, and it would have prevented both those moments from happening. And the, the sad thing is, is, is like, God, I know there were moments in my life where that bitterness did cause me to be a terrible witness for other people. And there's been some orpas in my life that have made lip service, but ultimately looking at me and my testimony walked away and may never come back. God, now that I feel like I'm starting to get, I started Bible school again today, got a lot of stuff moving in the right direction, got some stuff stabilized. God, now that I'm starting to walk back to the house of bread, let me get back as long as it takes Lord, I, I'm looking for the day when the baby's born and, and, and I get to hold it and, and things have changed completely. It, it takes years sometimes for that to happen. But Christian, it is worth all the stuff Naomi had to go through. It is worth just doing what it takes to get back to Bethlehem, Judah, get back to the house of bread and let everything that God wants to happen, once you get back, let it happen, be a part of it, and never leave again. And then you get to see God bring that full thing, or that whole thing full circle. And he takes a very bitter old lady and lets her hold one of the great, great, great grandfathers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's it. Let's go for it.